chapter 4. When it comes to our walk with Christ, it is far more than just quitting bad things, right? I, I can remember as a kid times when I felt good about myself because I refrained from doing something bad. I didn't punch one of my brothers back when they hit me. I didn't steal one of their toys. I didn't call them any bad names. I mean, certainly there were probably times where I did. <laughs> there are things that God calls us to put off. There are things that we need to quit doing, but it's also about putting things on. It's not just about stopping sin, but putting on righteousness. Not only should we put off anger, but we should put on kindness. Not only should we put off fighting, but we should put on love. And, and even in that, sometimes we get tripped up, don't we, in the good and the bad. And we can, we can have the improper motivation sometimes. And, and what I love about our passage this morning is that Paul doesn't just tell us things to put off and then to put on, but he actually gives us the proper motivation and the reasons why we do these things. And so let's, let's jump into God's word this morning, and I, I think we're going to be greatly challenged and encouraged. So follow along with me as I start reading Ephesians 4, starting in verse 25. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor. For we are members one of another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word that you give us. I thank you that you have not left us on our own. Lord, I, I think of often how I can get lost in life when I don't have the proper instructions and understanding of what we are to do. And yet, Lord, in your word, you have given us what we need for life and godliness through the knowledge of you. And so this morning, Lord, would you give us eyes to see, give us ears to hear, give us hearts to perceive, Lord, what you have for us this morning. What, what do we need to put off? What are we holding on to that is corrupting us? What are we holding on to that is causing friction between us and others? Things that, that we need to be rid of, Lord. Would you reveal that to us? And Lord, if we are, we are, we can often get so focused on what we're not doing and, and feel good about that, Lord, but, but you, you haven't just called us to put off unrighteousness, but you called us to put on righteousness. So Lord, would you reveal, would you open our eyes that, that we would see what is it that we need to put on? What is it that we're neglecting? Lord, would you 
Would you help us to see those? And then, Lord, I pray that you would give us the proper motivation for these things, that they would not be fleshly motivations, but they would be motivated by your grace and by your mercy. And so, Lord, uh, I am dependent on you. We are desperate for you, Lord. And so I pray that you give us the gift of illumination, that you would open our eyes, that we might behold wondrous things out of your law. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. So this morning, we continue the journey of what it looks like to live worthy of our calling in Christ. And we saw that challenge begin in verse 1 of chapter 4, where it says, I therefore, prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of your calling. And last week, Paul was encouraging the Ephesians not to walk as the Gentiles did. There are trip hazards in our way as we walk with Christ. We need to be on the lookout for unbelief in our hearts. We need to be mindful of hard-heartedness. We need to be careful that we avoid impurity, that we live holy lives. Yes, we are a new creation. Praise God. But we are still susceptible to give in to temptation. And in our passage today, we will see five things that we are to put off and put on. And again, as I said, the great news here is Paul gives us good motivation for the understanding of why we do these things. The first one is found in verse 25. Let's look at that again. Therefore, again, therefore, when we see that there, we see what it's there for. It's referring back to something that's already been said. We put off your old self, verse 22, which belongs to your former manner of life. And it's corrupt through deceitful desires and be renewed in the spirit of your minds. Put on the new self. So in light of that, therefore, because of this, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor. For we are members one of another. Here, Paul is calling us to put off falsehood and put on truth. Put off falsehood, put on truth. And all throughout this book, Paul has spoken of the truth. Let me just highlight a few things here. You can stay where you're at. I'll just read these real quick. Ephesians 1.13. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. We heard the word of truth. Chapter 4, verse 15. Rather, speaking the truth in love. We are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ. Verses 20 through 24. But that is not the way you learn Christ, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. The truth is in Christ. And later in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 14, we read this. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth. We're to put off falsehood. We are to put on truth. Truth is vital in the church, is it not? Truth is being challenged every single day, and we need to stand firm on the truth. If you want to destroy a church, let falsehood reign. So what exactly does that look like? Well, of course, first it starts with don't lie. (laughs) Don't spread lies. You know, often... Uh, we can be tempted when we come across somebody that we don't know 
uh, very well. We might get frustrated with them. We might get angry at, with them. Have you ever noticed when you are angry at someone, every little thing that person does wrong drives you crazy? Now, someone that you have determined, I love this person, I'm going to commit my life to them, especially early on in like dating phase and early on in marriage especially, we tend to overlook, don't we? But man, when we get angry at somebody, every little thing that they do, we just expound upon. And the temptation for us when we interact with other people is we want other people to be just as angry at this person as we are. And so usually what happens, the conversation might start with a, can you pray for me? <laughs> Not to say that's wrong, but we have to be careful of that. And our, and our temptation is, 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 is it becomes gossip. And it becomes taking a little bit of truth and twisting it and telling lies. And is this not what we see destroying the world and even sometimes destroying the church? We need to speak the truth to one another. And we must be careful not to participate in those types of conversations when people come to us. When people... You know, like if people come to me in counseling and they're complaining about somebody else, I'm like, look, they aren't here. It's your word against theirs right now. I'm concerned about your heart and how you respond. And so if somebody's coming to you wanting to complain about somebody else, the first thing we should do is like, you need to go talk to that person. This is, this is not my business. I don't know if you are telling the truth or not. But the problem is, if we are close to people and we have good friends, what I see happen often is we tend to believe our friends over the other person because we know our friends. And so we just believe that they're telling the truth. We have to be careful that we don't allow this kind of thing to come between us. Uh, we read this in Proverbs 18, 17. The one who states his case first seems right until the other comes and examines him. Have you, have you ever, like, believed something to be so true, like, it's so believable, and you start believing the truth, and you, and you find yourself, like, what you think is truth, and then all of a sudden the real truth comes out, and you realize, oh, my goodness, I screwed up. I just took this person's word at face value, and I should have examined it, and I allowed somebody's gossip lead my heart astray. We must be careful. Lies destroy churches. But I, I don't see falsehood just as blatant lies. We also aren't putting away falsehood when we refuse to let people enter our lives when we are in a deep struggle. And we get the question, how are you doing? What's the, often the typical answer? I'm fine. I'm good. I remember in college, and, and I struggled. I had some struggles in college. Nothing major, but just really struggled uh, with some different things. And I remember this lady asking me, hey, how are you? And I tend to, I'm not saying I'm always open, but I tend to wear my emotions on my sleeve. And I was like, not good. And her words were like, oops. <laughs> oops, I didn't mean to ask that question. <laughs> like, are, when somebody asks you genuinely, how are you? Are you honest with them? Are you at a place where you're willing to open up your life when you are in a struggle? Because you realize, I realize, that if I want to deal with my own sin or even my own struggles, the best thing is to get other people involved. Especially if we are struggling with sin. 
You see, we, we tend to want to, we want to protect ourselves when we're dealing with sin. And so we'll keep struggling, we'll keep tripping over ourselves and refuse to confess because we don't want people to think negatively of us. Meanwhile, we are spiraling out of control. To me, that is a form of putting on falsehood when we refuse to be truthful with others and how we're really doing. But specifically, when I think of sin in confessing to others, I think of James 5.16. Confess your sins to one another and pray for one another. Why? That you may be healed. Brothers and sisters, if there's unrepentant sin in your life and you want to be rid of it, one reason why you may not be rid of it is because you refuse to let people in. Scripture says, repent. Go tell somebody. Have somebody pray for you so that you might be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. We must speak the truth to one another. We must put aside falsehood. Why? Why should we do these things? The reason is, as Paul says here, because we belong to one another. We are, the scripture says here, members one of another. Think about it. What's, what's the analogy God gives to Christians together? We are called a what? A body. I mean, think about how ridiculous this is. Imagine the body is walking towards a cliff and the brain sees it. Like if we go off the cliff, if the feet keep walking, we're dead. But you know what? I hate the feet. They drive me crazy. They're stinky. They're hairy. Like I don't like the feet. You know what? I'm not even going to mess with telling the feet here because they don't deserve to know what's coming on. What's going to happen? The body's going to tumble over the cliff. Now, that's kind of a ridiculous statement, but that's what we're saying. When we are speaking falsehoods, when we're not being truthful, we're not being honest, we're not being loving in that way to one another, that in its essence what we are doing. We are saying we don't care about another foot of the body. Scripture says, don't say, you can't say to the hand, I don't need you. We are members of one another. Put off falsehood. Put on truth. Because we belong to one another. Look at verse 26. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Paul is calling us to put off sustained anger and put on short accounts. Put off anger. Put on short accounts. Now, when it comes to anger, this is kind of a touchy situation. And, and Scripture has a lot of things to say about it. And there are some who say, don't be angry. And there are others like what Scripture says, look, it says be angry here. And so we need to ask ourselves, what, what, what do we need to be aware of when it comes to anger? Because we can tend, if, if we're an angry person, we can tend to point to this verse. Look, it says be angry. I just don't have to sin. However... There's a danger when it comes to that. So let, let, let's, just, let's just first ask the question, is it wrong to be angry? What would you say? Is it wrong to be angry? No, it's not wrong necessarily to be angry. Consider Jesus. Did Jesus ever get angry? <laughs> yes. Let's just consider a few. I'm, we're not going to jump to the scriptures, but in Matthew 12, Jesus healed a man with a withered hand on the Sabbath, and the Jews got angry with him. Did, was Jesus just fine with that? 
oh, I'm so sorry. Didn't mean to take care of this person who's been struggling for years and heal them on the Sabbath. My bad. No, Jesus was angry about that. Are you kidding me? You care more about somebody honoring a day than you do about a man being healed? Same thing happened on, in, in Luke chapter 13. Jesus healed a woman with a disabling spirit on the Sabbath. And the Jews, once again, were very angry with him for just taking the spirit out of this woman on the Sabbath. Are you kidding? And Jesus says, calls them a bunch of hypocrites. Now, do you think Jesus is like, oh, you hypocrites. Don't be silly. No, he was like, you hypocrites. Nothing like religious people who don't want to see people healed on the Sabbath. As you recall, man was not made for Sabbath. Sabbath was made for man. It's good to rest, but it's not ultimate. It's for our good, but Sabbath wasn't made. We weren't made for the Sabbath. Jesus, that made Jesus angry. And of course we know when they were selling stuff in the temple, se selling animals for sacrifices at a crazy price, what did Jesus go on? Hey, guys, could we stop this? Hey, do you mind? Hey, man, this is, a, this, is, this is a house of prayer. Could we just stop this? Is that the way Jesus responded? He's angry. How dare you make my father's house a house of prayer that's supposed to be a house of prayer? How dare you make it a den of thieves? And he flips over the temples. The temple table. So, so clearly, anger is not in and of itself wrong. You think of Paul and the apostles all throughout Acts. Did Paul not call out the, the Jewish leaders? Absolutely. I think of people throughout history. Consider Martin Luther and his anger towards the early church and their mockery of mandating so many man-made rules. I think of William Wilberforce's anger towards slavery. I myself have experienced anger towards the mistreatment of women, racism, children, the elderly. The neglect of the unborn from our country's leaders. There are times where anger is righteous. But we must be careful scripture is very clear that anger is not something that we should leave around the house anger is not something it's not a bed that we should lay in on a regular basis paul right here says don't let the sun go down on your anger we have to deal with it he calls us to keep short accounts consider what the scriptures say about this James 1, verses 19 and 20. Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. Don't we often get that backwards? Aren't we often slow to hear, quick to speak, quick to anger? No, we, we got to be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. Why? The anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. God calls us to get rid of anger quickly. It's dangerous. Ecclesiastes 7.9 says this. Be not quick in your spirit to become angry. For anger lodges in the heart of fools. It's a good picture. It just gets stuck in there if we don't deal with it. And that, it, it doesn't just like hibernate. When we allow bitterness to reign in our hearts. Oh sure, it might be 
it might be quiet for a while, but that sucker just builds and builds and builds like a snowball falling down a mountain, and eventually you have this massive issue that will destroy you. We need to be quick to get rid of anger. Proverbs 19.11 says this, good, good sense makes one slow to anger, and it is his glory to overlook an offense. Oh, that is such a good verse. Good sense makes one slow to anger. So we shouldn't be quick to justify our anger. We should be slow to it. And I think we also need to, to ask ourselves, is my anger towards someone or is it towards something? Because I think that makes a difference. Because I think of Jesus, even to the Pharisees, he was angry at what? He was angry at their sin. But, but you look further in the gospel, he's like, oh, how I, how I would have loved to gather you under my wings. Even Paul said, man, I would, I would lose my salvation. I would give my salvation up so that my brothers, my fellow Jews would find salvation. So, so their anger was towards sinfulness, not people. We must learn to cast off anger quickly and keep short accounts. But let me ask you, are you an angry person? Do you have a quick trigger of being irritated? fast? Do you let it simmer in your soul for long periods of time? If so, you are opening your life up for trouble. So why? Why should we be putting off anger and putting on short accounts? The scripture says here in verse 27, that we might give no opportunity to the devil. We don't want to be giving Satan something to run with. Our anger that is harbored in our hearts is ammunition for the devil. Because, as I mentioned earlier, he's going to use everything that person does that's wrong in your eyes and magnify it for you. The more we allow anger to rule in our hearts, the more volatile we get and the less control of our hearts we have. Many churches have split over sustained anger. Many marriages have ended in divorce over anger. And we're going to actually see this again at the end of the chapter. Brothers and sisters, we are called to live differently. We are called to put off sustained anger, put on short accounts so that we don't give the devil any opportunity. Let's look at verse 28. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. This is what Paul is calling us to do. Put off stealing, put on working. Now certainly, doesn't that seem like obvious? Like, duh, of course we shouldn't steal. Well, this would have been particularly relevant in the ancient world here because thievery was, was rampant in the society, especially at the docks and in public restrooms. Thievery was everywhere, and Paul wasn't going to assume that the people understood, hey, you shouldn't do that. <laughs> you shouldn't take what's not yours. And, of course, you could understand why this would be a major distraction to the church if, if people were stealing from the church and stealing from one another. 
what might seem like an obvious thing to us, for whatever reason, Paul sees it important to remind the people, don't steal. So what does this mean for us? Well, let's just start with don't take something that's not yours. I'm reminded of uh, when, when I was younger, my brother, who I think was a senior in, college, uh, in high school, and he had a Letterman's jacket. How many of you have Letterman's jackets? I never got one. A little jealous that I never got one. But he wore it to church one Sunday morning, and it was time to leave, and he goes to, to looking for his jacket, and lo and behold, it's gone. Somebody stole it. Like, who steals a Letterman's jacket? Now, if you know what a Letterman's jacket is, like, you put all of your, your awards on it, like you get, you get badges for playing varsity sports, band, choir, all those different things. So he, he had a bunch of these patches on, and on the back of his coat was our last name, Hurt. Why would anybody steal this? And so they, 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 they're talking to people in the church, wondering if anybody had seen this. I mean, the, the colors of it are very distinct. Uh, we we're, uh, went to Brandywine in, in Niles, and the colors are maroon and gold. It's not like a fashion state-like thing, but, uh, but those were the colors. And so it's that, that kind of jacket would stick out in public, but a couple months go by and nothing. And, and basically, you give up hope. Like, we're not going to find this jacket. And six months later, my brother and my parents are walking around University Park Mall. And lo and behold, they look and see this maroon and gold jacket. And she turns around, this young girl. And on the back of it, H-U-R-T. This girl had my brother's letterman's jacket at the mall. And, and thankfully, very, very quickly, they noticed the security guard and were able to get his jacket back. I mean, here's the thing about sin. It makes us stupid. <laughs> wearing a jacket that has somebody else's last name on it, you are wearing it to think. But this is what happens. Like, it... We, if we're not careful, we could find ourselves stealing in different ways. I think, I think sometimes we're more clever at it. Certainly, the blatant taking something that not, is, isn't yours is stealing. But, but here's another thing, another challenge for us. How many of you come to church every week, sit in the pew, take in, receive, 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 never give to the church, never give financially, never look to pour into anybody else? just looking to get and then the time ends and you leave is that not a form of thievery where you are taking but are refusing to contribute to the body of Christ in some form or fashion perhaps maybe you are just so discouraged with who you are let me remind you if if you have repented of your sin and placed your faith in Christ, you have something to offer the body because the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. And listen, there are, there are times where I'm not saying it's inappropriate to just be receiving. There are times where people have been wounded. And so if you find yourself in a place of just being wounded, perhaps the best thing for you is to receive. But there has to come a place, a time where you give back why? Why should we put off stealing and put on working? It's because we see here in verse 28 that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Put off stealing, put on working so that you can give to those in need. We, we see Jesus himself saying, saying that it is more blessed to give 
than receive. I, I've received a lot in my life. I'm grateful for the times that I've had my soul refreshed, that I've been able to receive over periods of time. And, and through those seasons, I, I have learned that God owns the cattle on a thousand hills. I've learned that he is my ultimate provider. But what I've also learned that I find it way more beneficial for my soul to give rather than to receive. The reason why is because it puts us in a state of mind where we aren't just fully consumed with ourselves. Like that, I'm, I tend to just think of me. What do I get out of this? And when we, especially, we're able to give physically, it's just, it's just taking our eyes off of ourselves and pointing it on to others. It's being reminded of all that we've received in Christ and then living our lives out for the sake of others. Again, some of you may not be in a place to give financially. You may not be able to give physically. You may not be able to meet a need in that sort of way. But you know what you can do? You can seek out how you can pray for others. You can look for opportunities to share the word of God and how it's encouraged you with those who need encouragement. So lest you think that giving is just about financial, let me remind you that the people who have blessed my soul deeply have been those who have opened up God's word with me when I haven't been able to clearly see God. And then my eyes have been refreshed. My heart's been renewed, reminded of God's grace because of the way people have invested in me. Brothers and sisters, put off stealing. Put on working so that you can give to those in need. Look at verse 29. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give, may give grace to those who hear. How many of you think the world needs to hear that? Put off corrupting words. Put on uplifting words. Paul understood that our tongues are a dangerous weapon. It can be used for good or for evil. Proverbs 18.21 says it well. Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruit. Sadly, too often we use our tongues to tear down and destroy rather than to build up. The tongue is, a, is an extremely challenging thing to tame. So keep your fingers here and turn with me to James chapter 3. The tongue is dangerous. James chapter 3, starting in verse 1. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. What does a teacher do? What does a teacher use? Their words. Right? This is a sobering reality as I'm up here this morning. Lord, keep me truthful. <laughs> Not many people should be quick to call themselves teachers because of the severity when we use our tongue for evil. Verse 2, for we all stumble in many ways. And if anyone does not stumble in what he says, listen to what he says, he is a perfect man, able to bridle his whole body. So whenever we say, oh, I didn't mean to say that, it's not really true. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks that's why it says if you can control your tongue you are perfect because who can control their tongue 
Verse 3, if we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. What a good picture. You ever had the horse where you've got the, I don't know the terminology for it, the the bridle, is that what it is? I don't know. You pull back on it, and you can change a horse. You can give direction on where the horse is going just by controlling its mouth. What a picture of us. Verse 4, look at the ships also. Though they are so large and driven by strong winds, what are they guarded by? What are they guided by? A small rudder, wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird and reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is restless evil, full of deadly poison. With it, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers and sisters, these things ought not to be. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening, both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. What serious warnings about our tongues. With it we praise God, and with it, we curse our brothers and sisters. We, we cannot look at this lightly. We need to put off corrupting words and put on uplifting words. We are to use our words to build up. But notice, this isn't just about flattery. He's not calling for us just to say nice things all the time. That would be overanalyzing this. Or maybe under-analyzing it, depending on how you look at it. If we walk away thinking, oh, I just got to say praises all the time. Even if I don't mean it, it's just uplifting words. This is not what it's saying here. L- notice notice uh, the words here, the wording here. No, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion. Certainly, there are times where we have to say some hard truth to one another. This is not just about saying flattering words. Sometimes I have to come to you. Sometimes you have to come to me and say, brother, sister, this isn't lining up with Christ's likeness. But we must remember it matters how we speak to one another with the truth, doesn't it? Are we just, just supposed to speak the truth? No. Remember I mentioned we speak the truth in love. Love without truth is hypocrisy. Truth without love is brutality. We speak the truth in love. When it comes to using our words, our words should be mainly for lifting up. Why? Why should we put off corrupting words and put on uplifting words? To give grace to those who hear, as the passage says. We want our words to be gracious. If there's anything the world needs, especially in the church, it's more grace. How many of you this week 
came in battered and beat up by the world? How many of you walked into this room discouraged because of everything that you're facing, all the negativity everywhere, all the time, constantly? The last thing we should be doing is looking to tear down. We should be looking to build up one another in grace. And I think we should ask ourselves when it comes to our interactions with one another, do, we, do I spend more time tearing down or do, do I spend more time building up? I was talking to somebody this week. They say, uh, I think when it came to teaching children, it takes 15 positives to fight one negative. Brothers and sisters, how are you using your words? Do you use it to build up or do you use it to tear down? When it comes to your interactions with unbelievers who, who are against things that you are so strongly for, that it grieves you. Are you not allowing, are you making sure that you don't allow your grief to lead you to speak corrupting words to unbelievers because of the things that they stand for that you can't stand? We must guard ourselves. We want to give grace to those who hear. Let's wrap up with Ephesians 31 and 32. First of all, you see verse 30, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you are sealed for the day of redemption. I, I think what he's speaking of too, he's, he's just like, look, when we aren't putting off these things that we need to put off, we're not putting on the things of God. When we have the improper motivation, we're grieving the Holy Spirit. Don't do that. Verse 31, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you. Again, going back to anger in the earlier passage, he's saying, look, do not let this hang around. Let all of these things Clamor, slander, be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. Here's what he's calling us to do. Put off bitterness. Put on forgiveness. Bitterness happens when we allow anger to hang out in our hearts for a long period of time. We let it brew and stew within us. It, it's lodged inside of us and it corrupts us to our core. And, and there's a, there's a, there is a progression we see here. Bitterness, wrath, and anger, those are all emotional things. Th those are all things that stew up within inside of us. That's the beginning of anger. That's the beginning of bitterness is these emotions. You ever have like this rage against someone? Sadly, I have. But if we don't control that, it gets progressively worse. Notice the word after anger. It's clamor. When you think of clamor, what do you think about? I think of sound. What's all that clamoring I hear? See, this is what happens when we allow bitterness to ruin our hearts. Eventually, it comes out. Eventually, we start getting angry. Eventually, it comes to the point where we speak loudly. Our voice starts to rise. And we begin to shout. We begin to lose control of the, the voices that God has given us. And instead of using words that encourage, we use words that corrupt. Because we have allowed our hearts to reign in bitterness. Notice, there's another form. Not only are we lashing out to those that we are angry with, but now we're slandering. Now we are going to other people and bringing other people into it. And we're gossiping. We're not, we're not going to the other person to deal. We're like, can you believe what so-and-so did to me? 
and we, and we start to twist the truth and we cast lies because we want people to be on our side. And that if we don't guard our hearts, sometimes it leads to malice. This is when we physically act out. This is when we hear of stories and we're watching 2020 and yet again we hear they seem like such the perfect couple. And extreme forms of anger, of bitterness, can be murder. This should be something, as believers in Christ, we should want to put away so quickly. We should want to put on forgiveness so quickly. And Paul gives us the motivation here. Verse 32, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Why should we put off bitterness and forgiveness? Because God in Christ forgave you. Brothers and sisters, the sins that you've committed against Christ are far worse than anyone's sins against you. Why do I believe that's true? Because what did our sins cost the perfect man? We sing it, it was my sin that held him there. God didn't die just, hey, you know what, what, can, what how can man get saved? Hey, Jesus, why don't you die? No, it was, Jesus, you have to die for the sins of my people in order for them to be made right. Our sins against Christ are far worse because it cost a perfect man his life. So therefore, when I am sinned against, what can I do but forgive? Now, now I think we need to decipher and have an understanding of what is forgiveness. Because this is where people get tripped up. Forgiveness does not mean everything's back to normal. Forgiveness doesn't mean it's no big deal what happened to you. Forgiveness doesn't mean you have to go back and start hanging around that person that hurt you deeply. Forgiveness doesn't mean you forget. You realize it's just about impossible to forget when we've been cut deeply by somebody. And the last thing Paul is saying here is like, hey, just, just treat it like no big deal. Here's, here's how I see forgiveness. Forgiveness is taking someone off my hook and putting them on God's hook. Forgiveness is, they have sinned against me, I'm going to stop bringing and holding it against them, and I'm going to let God deal with them. And if they never repent, then God, they will pay for their sin, sadly, in hell for eternity. But if by God's grace they repent, they will find forgiveness in Christ. The same forgiveness I've received, which I did not deserve. Here, here's in essence what we say when we choose not to forgive. This is what we're saying. You know what? I deserve Christ's forgiveness but you don't. That's what bitterness does. That's what unforgiveness does. We can't, in a right, good, strong relationship with Christ, receive his forgiveness and then stay bitter towards someone else. We must put off bitterness and put on forgiveness because God in Christ forgave you. So as we close today, what is God 
calling you to put off that you are holding on to? What sin is he revealing that is tripping you up? Also, what, what is he calling you to put on? If you're putting off something, you've got to replace it with something righteous. What is he calling you to put on? What, what motivations do you need to remember this week? When you're choosing to forgive, if all you say is, i got to forgive because that's what God said for me to do is forgive, your motivation is going to run out. Listen, there are, there are people where they still come to mind for things they've done years ago. And I have to remind myself, God, you have forgiven me of so much. How can I hold this against this person? I have forgiven them, Lord. I choose to forgive them now. I choose not to hold this against them. And I have to keep reminding myself, Lord, it's only because of the way you've forgiven me. God, I did not deserve any forgiveness. Lord, my sins against you are far worse than their sins against me. I've got to remind myself of that regularly. What is God calling you to do today? Let me leave you with some action steps as we uh, close out our time this morning. I spent some time this week memorizing Ephesians 4, 31 and 32. Uh, as you may know, I have lots of songs for different scriptures. And uh, I'm not going to sing it this morning. But it says, it says this, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. And maybe you need to say that last line over and over again. Forgive as God in Christ forgave me. Forgive as God in Christ forgave me. And then uh, we're, we're jumping into Ephesians 5, so spend some time, look into that, get yourself ready. For next week and what the Lord might have for us. Third question there. How is your motivation? What motivates you to live the life that you're living? Is it God-centered or is it flesh-driven? And then lastly, what do you need to put off? What do you need to put on? So as we close, let me, let me pray for us this morning. Father, thank you for your grace and your mercy. Thank you for all that you've done for us. Thank you for your word, Lord, uh, the call to put off and put on. God, we desperately need you to lead us in this. So keep us on the straight and narrow. Keep us focused on what is true, Lord. We need your help, Lord. We are, we are so tempted to go astray. But God, I pray that what would motivate all of these things would be those last lines. As God in Christ forgave you. Lord, may we live in delight in your forgiveness. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, donuts and coffee are going to be ready shortly, so I encourage you to stick around. Uh, if you are a member, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to find somebody you don't know. I don't command you. That's a man-made thing, but I would strongly encourage you. Find somebody you don't know. Introduce yourself, uh, and we'll enjoy some donuts. Church, you are the light of the world, a city on a hill cannot be hidden so let your light shine so that others may see your good works so that you can give glory to your father who is in heaven have a great week